Hey listeners, just as a quick heads up for this one, this recording was done over the course of a couple of days due, due to some inclement weather, so if there's some difference in audio quality, that's why. Alright, and that's it. Enjoy the show. One's a trippy benchmark in sci-fi history, the other is its more grounded labor of love sequel, Blade Runner. They remade it. Welcome back to They Remade It. I'm your host, Stuart. I'm the other one, Jacob. <laughs> and this week we'll be going into Blade Runner and its, you know, aforementioned sequel, Blade Runner 2049. But first, I've been Jake. What you been up to, as per usual? Uh, I've been I've been doing all right. I'm getting older. I'm aching. I mean, we're always getting older. Oh, please. <laughs> spare me. <laughs> spare me your rhetoric. Uh, spare me. <laughs> spare me your daily bull. Uh, we're talking about what we've been watching, because uh, yeah. that's all anyone gives a damn about. I mean, that's what uh, that's what they're here for. No, here, whole... here to hear you here to listen about my you know my cancer scare. No, you're here to listen about what I watch for movies. Yeah, and how I studied another one. Yeah. By the way, it was positive. I do have cancer. I'm very sorry. Anyway, that's okay. I, I don't. By I'll the way. get a new. I'll get a new host soon. Uh, yeah, it's that's fair. New co-host. <laughs> But no, I've been I've been watching a lot of miscellaneous stuff, a lot of making ofs hmm. for like random television shows and cartoons online. Uh, Good old how it's made. Yeah, <laughs> I watched a movie called Rabbit Run, which was a uh, a direct to DVD movie based on the Looney Tunes show from 2011. Oh, that sounds wonderful. It was. It was great. That sounds. Uh, that just sounds like a benchmark in history i don't know why i watched it it's one of those things that comes up in your bar and you're just like oh whatever yeah that happens sometimes without cable and hbo these days i don't really watch things randomly anymore uh, which kind of sucks well just do it well yeah but it's like it's either that or like netflix and for netflix i have the very easy option of being like i don't like this bye <laughs> you gotta be more open to terrible experiences well yeah but again that's why i like cable and everything mm-hmm uh, the the only big thing I partook in is <coughs> I saw Ready Player One. Mm -hmm. it, uh, it was actually a lovely experience because I, I I was in the theater the day it premiered and there were two other people there. Wow. Uh, two heavy set gentlemen. One of them was constantly he was I think he was laughing behind me, which it's it's not like it was a comedy. He he was just like <clears throat> I I couldn't tell if he was coughing or clearing his throat. That was but, me. Uh, that was me, you dick. <laughs> no, it wasn't me. I was kind of excited. I was like, oh, this is great. I can just do whatever I want while I'm here and watch it. That's only happened a handful of other times. Yeah. Like, I was I was in theaters for Apollo 18 when it came out. And nice. One of, like, three people in the audience. Yeah. But... Weirdly, when I first saw um, The Force Awakens, when it first came out, like, the midnight premiere, and the theater I was in, like, the whole theater movie theater was constantly bussing with people huge lines going each one the one time me and whoever i was with i can't remember who when we went to the theater there were maybe 10 other people with us just we were near the kind of the end of the big rush and there was just nobody in there hmm. literally when the credits were starting to come up it's like this is it is, this there, is, it. is there anyone else in here like, i guess nah. this is it <laughs> we were all just kind of buddy buddy about it but i i guess for closure on that i actually kind of i uh I hesitate to say liked because there's a lot I find wrong with it, but I didn't hate. Oh, yeah. 
I didn't hate the movie. Uh, it changed a lot of really bad parts or aspects of the book, and mm. I think it. I think it did better for it. If that's, I'm being honest, like that's fair. I mean, yeah. I, you know, cards on the table. I still haven't seen it because mm-hmm. I just either haven't had time or I just haven't had the inclination. But you know, if there's one thing I I give Spielberg at this point, it's taking what was once a book property into a movie property and making it better. One of the few times in history, one of the few people in history who can actually do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many people know that Jaws and Jurassic Park were originally based off books? You know, it, simply because the movies were so good. Right. I think a lot of people know Jurassic Park's based on a book now. Yeah, that's that's probably coming up more and more. I've barely met anyone who's known Jaws. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, have not watched that yet. Haven't watched... I've probably watched less than you. I've basically... I've mostly been reading, honestly, which also ties into a thing I've been watching. Um, show on Netflix called Altered Carbon, and it's you know original book, really cool, classic kind of Netflix formula, overly violent, overly sexual, that sort of thing, but still pretty cool, cool, um, super futuristic noir aesthetic, which you know which is going to be a theme today, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, that's pretty much been it. I have not seen a single movie other than the ones we've watched. Wow. Yeah, it's been pretty... <clears throat> excuse me, it's been pretty slow. Now let's go to the theater sometime, see A Quiet Place. I heard it's good. Oh, yeah. Let's go see that. Good old John Krasinski. Mm-hmm. It's the closest thing I... we can get to a silent film these days. <laughs> <laughs> Back... John John Krasinski? That I thought guy. it was John Crickfalusi. <laughs> I thought I was going to go see a horror movie starring John Kay. <laughs> You, you continue to astound me, Jacob. I have absolutely no idea who that is. <laughs> and I don't care to look up. Very good. But for now, on to the usual thing. Films. Specifically Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. Mm, movies. Those things. That's what the show's about, right? Yeah, and remakes specifically. In this case, we'll be going into the second category that we brought up in the pilot episode. The long overdue sequel. This one's like... I think this one hit right at the 15-year mark, didn't it? Well, 82 to 2017, 25 years. What the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> Why are in my, where in my head did I have 15 years? That I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I Basic am, math? Yeah, yeah. That's this is Basic why, math. This is why I've failed math so many times, people. think Don't think less of me for it. But yes. Uh, you ever had a big thing with these films? Because like, Blade Runner in and of itself has always kind of had a not controversial stance in the sci-fi world but a kind of divisive stance uh no well especially not with 2049 because it no. just came out no 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 of course not i remember watching blade runner a long time ago with my dad for the first time and i fell asleep during it that's my experience with a lot of sci-fi and action movies i remember being at the premiere of uh episode three of star wars and i fell asleep during it too so mm. i just wasn't i just wasn't into that you know yeah i guess I've always been into, like, super high-octane stuff, so, like, I when I remember seeing Episode 3 as well, but, man, I was up the whole time for that. I was like, mm. Star Wars. <clears throat> well, this but, is along the same line with tech and stuff, but it's a lot slower paced oh, because yeah. it's a noir. It's a detective story. It's not a, it's not a Star War. Yeah. I, I saw, I think I saw the first one, like, five years ago, maybe even less. Yeah, no, right around five. Um... And I just didn't know what to think of it because I knew the reputation of it and I just finally found it just, you know, floating around on HBO. And I saw it and I just kind of sat down and I was like, why 
did any of that happen? <laughs> Do I have a good opinion of this? I don't know. Why did any of that happen? Why did any of that happen? The Blade Runner story. <laughs> you gotta think like a film, like a film student. Well, I didn't. You gotta think everything happens for a reason. Stories that are just a vehicle for comedy or a vehicle for one scene after the other. They have no. They they hold no clout. There's no importance for them. I just thought it was confusing. <laughs> <laughs> I thought a lot of stuff was random and it was no. hard to follow. But it, but if we're being honest, this the Blade Runner is a very stock, uh, sort of film school film school film. Yeah, it's very. It, it's a picture that it's a picture that you'll either be assigned to view or they'll talk about in terms of cinematography. And just or it's on the or it's on the teachers list of like top 20 films you should watch along it, with Citizen Kane in 2001 and if only just because of the strange history it's had you know it's famously had seven different cuts with its original being like three being all kinds of wrong from what how Ridley Scott intended it to be then the 2007 cut which was widely considered to be the definitive cut which is the one we'll be focusing on because mm -hmm. we wanted to cut down any like extra chaff right fat we want to cut down the fat, and then, so we could just kind of really do it as Scott intended it. Um, right, he was happy with all those. I yeah. like the fact he his original cut was like four hours long. Oh god! And they watched it, and it was incomprehensible. So they had, despite despite Ford saying otherwise, they had him record a narrative over it, like an old school noir, yep. to try and make sense of it, and it was just a miserable. Miserable experience for everybody involved. Apparently so, yeah. Uh, but, you know. I'd like to have that real. Yeah, that'd be... Yeah, it, it, let's spend an afternoon with that one. <laughs> I'll watch it. For the sake of clarity, I'm going to give a quick rundown of both films. Especially the first one, since it can be... Even just watching it, even then, it's hard to get a good synopsis of. So I'm going to do the best I can. Basically, the... Entirety of Blade Runner is, you know, the benchmark of dark sci-fi. It's set in, at the time, 2019 Los Angeles in the hyper-dystopian, grungy future. And it's set around the character Rick Deckard, a Blade Runner, also known, which is a type of cop that hunts down replicant humans, or just replicants. He's played by Harrison Ford. Yes, it is. You, you know his work. Yeah, if you don't, well, I mean, that's fair. You might be young. You might not have seen a lot of stuff. Go see his other work, Harrison Ford. <laughs> <laughs> There's a good glowing recommendation for you, Mr. Ford. Please love me. <laughs> Whatever work that might be. <laughs> yeah. Harrison Ford, the, known for such things as... Uh, Air Force One. Star Wars. <laughs> Storage Wars. He yeah. was on two was episodes on, was of Storage Wars. Storage Wars. <laughs> um, but yes, it's centered around Harrison Ford's character, Rick Deckard, a formerly retired Blade Runner who is brought back in to hunt down four rogue replicant robot guys and just the insanity that ensues from that. Just the kind of, kind of slice of life, kind of, it, it does have the very noir style of kind of slice of life situation where... It's very much showing the story of a city as it's much showing a story of this specific character. Or, I guess I should say a society. They don't really touch on the city that much. No. Um, it can have it. it. It has its own characteristics. Yeah. Um, 
But the story unfolds as Deckard is hunting down these four characters of Leon, Pris, there's another, the other female replicant, and... Zora. Zora, thank you. Zahora. Zahora. And um, Roy, famously played by Rutger Hauer. And throughout it, he is also, you know, brought privy to the information that a more advanced replicant exists in the form of the woman Rachel, played by Sean Young? Yes, that's correct. Sean, Sean Young. Young. I got that one right this time. Good job! <laughs> Hooray! But um, <laughs> he's brought privy to the information that the Tyrell Corporation has, the you know, corporation that has made all these robots, has created Rachel, a robot with actual human memories to better simulate emotion. Which is... Actually, a really cool plot device. I keep thinking about it. It's like, yeah, that's actually really cool. It's like, how do you formulate, you know, human human emotions through their memories? It's like, that's the only way you could. Right. I, I always love that subject of re recreation of memories, mm -hmm. like stock wise, just because there's no, they're they're always gonna end up being secondhand if yeah. unless they're done specifically by the person who remembers them there's no way of telling how how something played out in the mind of someone that experienced it exactly even if you were there so that's you know that kind of touches on one of the bigger themes which we'll go into later of the idea of humanity and you know what is someone but the sum of their memories good old castlevania reference there <laughs> <laughs> but yes he he being deckard learns about rachel but continues his hunt down for all of these different replicants along the way, kind of realizing, oh, maybe they have, you know, legitimate reasons for trying to live and, you know, killing and murdering their way to do it. And along the way, he learns that these replicants are in an, in one way or another attempting to extend their lifespans as they themselves have been designed to only live for four years. So they're just tearing up this city, trying to find a way to do it, killing... Oh, that one guy that, like, made the eyes, that one Asian actor whose name, like, escapes me now. James Hong. James Hong. it is. Yes. I love him. <laughs> I just do eyes. <laughs> and throughout this, it's, you know, constantly hinted at, you know, what what's the greater story that's going on? How are these guys really, you know, how are these guys able to do all this crap? And what is, you know, what are they actually trying to achieve? Do they just want to live longer or are they trying to be humans? That's a really big thing in it, the whole idea of, you know, more human than human, as uh, Mr. Tyrell puts it, as, you know, the as the Tyrell Corporation's slogan. You know, these replicants themselves trying to be human more and more. Um, and so it comes to, you know, this climactic end with Deckard and Roy fighting it out. Okay, fighting it out. It's... It's Rutger Howard going crazy and chasing Harrison Ford through a derelict building and ending with the now famous Tears and Rain speech. And that... then it just kind of ends. It yeah. kind of just drops off like, you know, Deckard and Rachel kind of have a thing. It's heavily hinted at that Deckard could be a replicant, but it's never made explicitly sure. Edward and James Almos is like... Edward James Almos... Come here. Playing, playing the character of Gaff, this... Come here. Uh, this like I guess police handler he's never really established who he is he's just kind of the guy who comes to collect him for this case yeah it's he he supposedly works with him he's not it's not like a 
a buddy cop team or like yeah. a, a master and protege, but they they work together mm-hmm. but under the same firm, so they have some relation. Yeah, but, but that's pretty much the extent of it. And they kind of like drops the hint. It's like, oh, you know, there's some various vague hints that he drops along the way that how Deckard might be a replicant, but it's never really explicitly made like really scott himself has said that decker is meant to be a replicant in the film but mm-hmm. again it's meant to be up for interpretation right did you didn't you say philip k dick philip k dick about that i'm almost i can't remember finding an exact quote but i do remember hearing from several sources that philip k dick did want decker to be a replicant okay because in because in the book uh do androids dream of electric sheep mm-hmm. in the book the only real mention of that is Deckard ta- uh, talking with another police officer from a different uh, agency, mm-hmm. uh, or another Blade Runner from a different agency, I should say, yeah. about uh, how androids don't care about one another, how they're willing to push them aside to get their own gains. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, by that logic, then you could also be an android. So Deckard freaks out and has this the test that they use the void comp test that uh that they use to uh prove whether someone is an android or not he uses it on himself and is basically like okay i'm not one and and he has no real reason to skew the results he seems generally concerned so I, yeah. i'm not sure where we're supposed to be getting from at least from the book i don't i don't understand where we're supposed I to be may, getting this i may be misquoting and i might be attributing that quote that was originally ridley scott's to philip k dick but I can't be for certain at the moment. Right. All that I know is, like, you know, it might be the thing where how Rachel was given the Voight-Kampf test and she took, and it was way harder to tell she was a replicant. Maybe Deckard is also in, is straight up impossible to detect for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But that just opens up so many different questions of the situation of how did he get to this position? How did he get lured to meet Rachel and that sort of thing? But that gets brought up in the next movie, which mm-hmm. I... We'll probably go into, but basically, movie ends. Rutger Howard dies of you know his lifespan runs out, which still is confusing because technically he was born in 2016, but he died in 2019, so his four years weren't up. That's one of the several plot holes in that movie, but again, that's not what we're here for. Um, maybe he was really tired. Maybe, maybe he, he was just he was just he, sleeping there in the rain. He was the Daffy Duck to harrison ford's porky pig in that entire scene busting his head through walls and chasing him around the building yeah <laughs> he, did, he just wore himself out it's like okay i'm done yeah i was gonna be here in the rain with a nail in my hand and a dove in the other and then he short-circuited yeah <laughs> it's, it's all just water <laughs> but um yeah pretty much ends there harrison ford goes back collects rachel and they run off together and the ending is left to be you know open and we don't really know what happens to them after that until blade runner 2049 which occurs 30 years later in the you know cinematic universe now centered around a completely different blade runner who is explicitly stated to be a replicant this being ryan gosling's character k or joe we'll just call him k yeah that's let's not call him joe yeah it's kind of boring but, yes, anyway, on that note, K, the main character of the new one, a, you know, immediately established um, replicant Blade Runner who, in his first scene, is going off to hunt down this one other Blade Runner played by... Batista. By good, good old Batista. WWE. <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad he's gone on to do good That's stuff. Amazing. He's a really yeah. good actor. He's um, in... Uh... Guardians. 
Well, yeah, he's in Guardians. I was trying to think of the the last uh, Bond film. Oh, yeah, the um, uh, Spectre. Spectre, yeah, he was in Spectre. Apparently he played Oddjob. When? No, that that was the character. Oh, was it? That was supposed to be Oddjob. Oh! I know. I didn't read that. It blew my mind. You know I've seen Spectre? Yeah. I don't remember Oddjob being in it. I mean, I mean, to be frank, I don't remember Batista being in it either, but... Yeah. Apparently that's who he was playing. Okay. He didn't wear the hat, he just wore it at the beginning. Oh, well then no wonder. Yeah. How am I supposed to tell it's Oddjob without the hat? I mean, same. (laughs) What are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about... <laughs> That'd be a good point. Blade Runner 2049. That'd be a good point to put, like, a little beep. <laughs> like, what are we talking about? <laughs> <clears throat> but yes, he goes off to hunt the replicant, played by Batista, and from there just kind of spirals into this whole plot where they find a skeleton buried underneath a tree just outside of Batista's house, and they find it to be... A woman that had died in childbirth, but the woman turns out to be a replicant. So they're like, what the She's hell? She's got a serial number in her. she got a serial them, number. Dem bones. And it establishes oh, this new, a new plot point of, oh, replicants are able to have children now, which in, you know, they're further in their, you know, this point in their society, they're like, okay, that can't happen. It's already a whole big us versus them debate, which, you know, it establishes early in the film that replicants were outlawed for a while Mm -hmm. but then they were brought back for the sake of you know um helping to settle more and more colonizable worlds the princess bride herself robin wright makes sure makes a point (laughs) to tell Kay, oh yeah we can't let this happen oh yeah i forgot that was her yeah he's like this can't be allowed yeah um yes so he uh, he being ryan gosling is tasked with the mission to find the kid that this woman had and, you know, just kill him. Just to straight up not allow this kind of replicant to exist in order to prevent, you know, the idea of a self-replicating, you know, what is essentially a slave force to the society. You know, they want to be able to fully control it in every way because they're bitches. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're complete assholes. Um, and then, you know, to further thicken the plot, it's actually revealed that the body they found was Rachel's from the previous movie, the highly advanced replicant, which they've now established, oh, she could even give birth. And then, you know, highly implying, at least from that point forward, since, you know, if you've already seen the first movie, that Deckard was the father of this kid. And so that sends him, um, it sends Kay off on this, you know, sprawling journey to try and find this child on the way being sent to the new Tyrell Corporation, the Wallace Corporation, I believe it's called, mm-hmm. with the, um, <laughs> what's, his, his name was strange, it was like Neander, it was Neander Wallace. Neander Wallace, yeah. Neander Wallace played by Jared Leto. Jared Leto with blinding contacts in his eyes. Yep, actually wearing. Stumbling around. Yep, actually wearing completely opaque contacts in order to simulate being blind for this character, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know. I've kind of always been hesitant with Jared Leto, mostly because of the whole, like, fiasco with Suicide Squad and how much of a bastard he was during that filming. But at this one, I was like, okay, yeah, he's pretty cool. He's just a method actor. It's an unfortunate role. If 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 to play devil's advocate, it's an unfortunate role for, yeah. for a method actor. Yeah. Because it's an insane person. Exactly. Did he have to torment his castmates? No, but... No. I mean, you know. It's just a bad circumstance. Yeah. But, um... But yes, it, he, you know, Wallace kind of, 
and Wallace is the new Tyrell of this world, and he's actually trying to find. He's actually also trying to find this self-replicating replicant child in order to be able to make more replicants the easy way, basically, as he puts it. And decides, oh, I could just send my hit woman, played by who exactly? Uh, Sylvia Hoex. Sylvia I don't know Hoex. If th- I don't know if that's Hook or Hoex, but... Hoex. Let's go with Hoex for so now. So into Ren and Stimpy that it's just Hoex to me <laughs> whenever I see it. <laughs> um... But yes, a replicant hit woman named Love, played by, you know, who you just said. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and she actually uses K and kind of allows him to go on with his investigation so they can find this kid. Along the way, they kind of learn, you know, a bit of backstory about K. He has this memory that's been implanted in him of, oh, once I, I was a kid, I had this little wooden horse that was really significant to me and I hid it from these kids who were trying to take it from me and it's revealed later on oh that memory actually happened it wasn't just constructed and it's what points him to the fact that oh I'm the kid what I am the boy yes they figure out that you know he figures out that he had the same birth date as the boy that was born from Rachel and so he you know, returning to the police office, police station is, you know, tested for by the new Voight-Kampf test, which is called a, a baseline test. Mm-hmm. Really cool scene, by the way. Um, but it's immediately shown, oh, he's got some shit going on in his head. Let's bring him in. And then his handler's like, what the hell is going on? It's like, no, it's cool. I just, I found the kid and I put him down. That's why I'm acting all weird. And then his, you know, his handler's none too subtle, like, sure. Well, I'm going to give you 48 hours to get back on track. I mean escape! <laughs> and, you know, get on with that. And so he does. He escapes from, you know, just immediate sight of anyone who could track him. He takes himself and his holographic girlfriend. By the way, he has a holographic girlfriend. Um, <laughs> that's just kind of... Joy. J-O-I. Yeah, pretty cool. Really cool shooting techniques with that. Um, but... He goes off with her and has this little wooden horse that he has analyzed, and it points him in the direction of where it came from, this being highly irradiated Las Vegas. You know, and not really, I guess it was irradiated. They don't really establish explicitly what happened. They just say, like, like a dirty bomb detonated there, so it just filled the place with a ton of, you know, chemicals and radiation. And he goes there, and he ends up finding Deckard from the first film, also still played by Harrison Ford, now, you know, 25 years older. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, kind of just starts kind of really ingratiating himself, thinking that, you know, Deckard is his own father and, you know, having some really cool scenes with like holographic Elvis and holographic, you know, Frank Sinatra because it's the future and it's Vegas and it's awesome. Um, which, you know, that's kind of a random point I know, but, you know, I just, I remember that so explicitly from that scene, but he finds him. And he's immediately tracked down by Love, the, you know, the Wallace hit woman. He is nearly killed. His holographic girlfriend is killed. And Deckard is taken hostage. Or not hostage, he's just taken prisoner and returned back to Wallace. At that, this point, he Kay gets saved by this, like, resistance group of replicants. Kind of, like, out of nowhere. Like, it's sort of established earlier. Like, there's a sex scene with... Or at least an implied sex scene with this one um, 
prostitute woman who puts a tracker on him, like you know, at the, in his in his like in his coat. Yeah, and then they actually track him down because they know what he's been doing. Like they know he's been trying to find this kid, and they establish this like, hey, we're gonna. You know, we're leading a revolution, and you've gotten closer to figuring this whole thing out than we have. Go find Deckard and kill him so they don't get the secret out of him or something. I don't I don't really know why they want to have him killed. They don't really establish that. But it's then established that, oh, by the way, you're not the, the replicant child. You're just some dude who, for some reason, has this memory. And the real replicant child is this doctor woman who we very briefly see, if only to establish that, you know his memories are real that he actually thought mm-hmm. he was the kid and she's a she's a, basically a scientist that creates memories for replicants she's she's yeah. almost like a, a a contract a contracted hire yeah. for creating these memories and she's isolated in a bubble for what she earlier in the film claims to be a, an immune disorder a really weak immune system which i'm sure she, her character probably actually believes like she just oh yeah, yeah she I, just doesn't remember it'd probably be lot. hazardous to let her know as well oh yeah um so yeah she never really knew her parents she was immediately you know given up after they were born because they knew the significance of what was happening and so she was hidden away so that you know she could kind of hide in plain sight in a sort of way to for the inevitable revolution that was going to apparently happen with replicants this part is kind of sudden but it's very much establishing the theme of oh this isn't really Kay's story it's more just he's facilitating the story of this world which you know pretty cool um but then it kind of wraps up relatively quickly from there he goes off and he hijacks well okay well there's a very brief scene where um deckard is with wallace and they're talking about, you know, when he knew, when Deckard knew Rachel, when she was, you know, still alive. There's a really cool scene where they have a lookalike actress playing like a remade mm-hmm. replicant Rachel. And he's all like, and Wallace is all like, oh, if you work with me, if you tell me everything you know, where the kid is, yada, yada, um, I will, or, you know, tell me where someone who does know where the kid is, I will give you all that you want. He's like, you know, Deckard's all like, nah. <laughs> and so. They threaten to torture him. He gets shipped off. But then Ryan Gosling... Okay. I don't know why I decided to call him by his actor that time. Yeah, call him whatever you want. <laughs> okay. Uh, Cheryl comes in and saves the day mm-hmm. for... You know, he just kind of rams into this big police escort and fights to the death with um, Love, the hit woman. He himself is mortally wounded and he just kind of goes off, sends Harrison Ford to go find his daughter... And on the steps of this lab where she's hiding, he he dies. And the last shot is Harrison Ford on the other side of the glass looking at his daughter, just kind of, you know, just looking at her and before the scene ends. Mm -hmm. So really cool. And and we're treated with a credit sequence with names that you cannot read. The names we could read, the titles for them we couldn't, though. (laughs) There's a really bad problem in this movie in 2049 of having... Titles or subtitles that are just illegible with their style. I uh, I watched this Ugh. movie a second time on a bigger TV, and it no was better. no better. It was no better. Oh my god! The only way you could actually read these is if it were if it were on a massive movie screen. Right, and even then, the font and the color, the way god, it's the way just... it's laid out, not a not my favorite aspect of any 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 film. Yeah. So that one, that one was a bit of a pet peeve, but otherwise, really good. I loved it. I thought there were some really cool shots. Yeah. So each of these movies was directed by a 
pretty heavy hitter directors whenever you really look into it with you know obviously Ridley Scott for the original you know Alien Gladiator a mm. bunch of other stuff that I'm, that is now escapes me somehow um, and then Denis I still have a hard time pronouncing his Villain, name Villeneuve Vill, uh, Villeneuve Villeneuve I'm just gonna say yeah Villeneuve, he, Villeneuve. he's very French <laughs> yes um, but he directed I did not know this he directed Sicario and Arrival two really really good ones that i have not seen uh sicario out front out out there mm. sicario is like this it centers around this kind of corrupt um ice agent i think i haven't seen a lot of it. i've just seen bits and pieces of it mm-hmm. and arrival is you know basically it's, it's like an alien you know interaction movie really cool visually mm-hmm. beautiful both of them sicario is freaking hardcore mm-hmm um, but we should say that Ridley Scott was in no means separated. He was executive producer for oh, yeah. the, for 2049. So He did a lot of the setup and everything. I'm pretty sure he was one of the first people to bring up doing the new one. Yeah. I mean, uh, Villeneuve wasn't even on board as director before Harrison Ford was on board to re- redo his character. You know, yeah. He came up, he, you know, Villeneuve actually came up after the fact. Mm-hmm. It was really impressive. Which, which... Kind of speaks volumes of how much yeah, people want to do this. People like his films to get him to want to do this, which I, I yeah. have to say, with this being the first of Villeneuve's films that I've seen, I mean, it, it, it is quite a very quite impressive. a first film to see. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, from there, you know, it's 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 really interesting to see how these how similar these two things are. I mean, obviously, they're very different. They're very different styles, but... Oh, yeah. It's really interesting to see this universe come back. And how it's kind of, you know, been translated through, you know, new technology, new style, and that th- sort of thing, but still very much be the Blade Runner everybody knows. Right. It's right. pretty much, it's, it is still Los Angeles, if I remember correctly, right? It's still in that area, yeah, because yeah. they go to San Diego. Yeah, which is apparently a giant trash dump. Yeah. Um, I don't, it doesn't even establish how long it's a trash dump, but, but people had lived there within the time that it had gone to hell. So that's mm-hmm. pretty interesting. All that, all that being said, though, uh, if if we're sort of comparing the the styles of film, or maybe what what the perceived genre can be, I wish there was a bit more noir in Blade Runner twenty forty nine because the original Blade Runner mm-hmm. uh, is is a very sci fi noir film. It's it it very much embraces both of those aspects. Whereas twenty forty nine is pretty ha- a pretty hard sci fi film that tries to incorporate noir elements and scenes into it. I mean, I kind of agree with you, but I almost think 2049 is a bit more noir in a lot of aspects, just purely for the fact that it's so much more grounded. And when I say grounded, I mean straightforward. It's actually understandable, and there's a distinct, you know plot line there's distinct motivations and everything it feels very you know cop you know looking into a dark dirty secret with larger than life forces attempting to keep him from doing so i agree with that in which the feels base... which is a very big noir thing yeah i agree with that in the base sense of what a noir is yeah and maybe it's superficial for me thinking this way but for the noir films that i i've seen and can recall seeing mm. I know that's not what noir is. It's just from a specific time period. Oh, but no, I want I mean, that. I want that gritty, that gritty more uh, that hard detective feeling. And there is detective work in there. There's the scene where he's analyzing the the, the DNA code oh, yeah. and and stuff like that. However, I just I get this feeling that Blade Runner has more of this mis- 
mystery to it, whereas Blade Runner 2049 has a mystery. Yeah, that, that is a good point. It is very... It, yeah, yeah, that is a really good point. The more I think about it, yeah. Like, noir does have that very mysterious element to it that mm-hmm. kind of is kind of lost on the newer movie. Right. I, I think I think that Blade Runner 2049 kind of shows its hand too early, and it turns into a twist, but yeah, that, that you don't really see coming. Maybe you can. Maybe you can think about it as in when, the same scene, the DNA scene, where he's like, female, male. We, that's impossible there's so, two kids or something it's like no one of them is fake clearly so right it must be a boy but it's like no it, it's kind of like a Chekhov's gun situation yeah um which actually i think ties in cool to the idea of it which actually you know in my research of the movie i kept thinking why does k have this memory and someone brought up the theory of oh maybe a bunch of replicants randomly have this theory in order to propagate the idea of the of this child to you know to further the idea of the revolution or something Mm. which i thought was kind of cool because then it means like oh even if you found out more about this there's both a male and a female so it could be anybody anybody could be the child anyone can be this larger than life hero that's a good theory which they kind of which they establish even it's like uh the revolutionary leader was like oh you thought you were the kid all of us wanted to be the kid trust me believe me and so that's kind of a cool theory that i saw floating around that's a good theory. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which I think that's the biggest mystery element to it is like, mm-hmm. where did this memory come from? What is the point of it? But I still don't think that kind of holds a candle to the kind of style that the original had with that. Right. It just It's just everything feels mysterious. It's like, you don't understand the city, you don't understand the people in it, and you don't, and you certainly don't understand the main characters. Right. And you don't necessarily have to. No, There's, no, no, no. There's, there is a fine line between having an element of mystique to something and just being confusing yeah which this which it, the original straddles very hard it, it can just by very nature it can be confusing remember he's using that computer and he he gets he gets oh, the, the mirror the to warp scene. around it's yeah like it just straight up just bends reality there for a few seconds <laughs> somehow the footage just captured more than a, a camera can superficially capture yeah like they kind of established in the new movie oh photos can kind of be semi-interactive but yeah they didn't establish that in the first one so it doesn't count <laughs> yeah but that that was sort of the feeling i i got from it i by no means hey oh, yeah. if, if we're if we're looking back on on Scarface, there was one very clear contender that I liked more than the other, but this one, hmm. this one, I don't really, I don't really know that I have a favorite because I think they both do what they do well in different ways. Yeah, and I think, and it's just, I'm kind of similar. I mean, I'm very much a film buff. I tend to lean more towards the one that I think is just better made, and that being mm-hmm. 2049, in my opinion. But you know, that's kind of besides the point, I guess, at the moment. But I still think it's just. It's really interesting to just look back on them, like with that with that mindset of one is about a mystery, one is just mysterious, which I guess is kind of the nature of it, even throughout its history. There's right, seven different <laughs> versions. That's it's, mysterious it's in and much, of itself. It's pretty much mythic that way. So both these movies are very distinct in their shooting style and their composition of shots. You know, just really off the bat, pretty much in every scene, it just establishes the location in pretty much the most grandiose manner. In the opening of the first one, it gives us this whole big wide shot of futuristic Los Angeles fire bursting out of what are presumably some sort of fuel depots. And in the new one, it gives us a big wide open shot of these 
abandoned solar farms out in the you know kind of middle of in the kind of middle of California area. Which cool fun fact originally that was the original scene for the original Blade Runner as it was written, but it was used instead for the twenty forty nine version. That's also a real place too. Yeah, in a real place. I it's... can't remember the name of the town though. Mm-hmm. But yeah, originally Ridley Scott had written the scene of Deckard going off to hunt this one replicant out in the kind of the middle of California, but that was never used and instead used for the new ver- new version, which I thought was really cool. And it's just an amazing opening scene. Um, but yeah, I, I kept seeing just so many elements because Villeneuve is clearly a fan of the original. And so, so many of the shooting styles are the same. The whole classic, very grainy, gritty style is recreated with using like snow and rain over the mm. scene to kind of give a an obscuring effect versus just, you know, camera quality back in the day. Um, which was really cool. And also, in a lot of ways, actually kind of made it less crisp looking than the original one did. Because I remember looking back over scenes, it, at least in the 2007 cut, because I'm sure it's been like remastered three times at this point. You can clearly tell so many of the shots are just models because it's so distinct (laughs) at this point. Like the giant Tyrell Corporation building looks, it looks like a Playmobil set in a lot of ways whenever I see it. My favorite stuff from there, uh, the Millennium Falcon is there. Uh Right. The actual Millennium Falcon is upright and that's a building. Really? Uh, Yeah. In one shot in the (laughs) background, you can see a kitchen sink. Oh my god. Uh, and that's a building. Everything, they just used whatever they could get their hands on. Everything in the kitchen sink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he knew what he was doing. Exactly. And then, like, and then just to contrast that with the modern one, where everything, at least in the opening, in some of the bigger, early uh, establishing shots, is super, like, actually dark. Like, even the Tyrell building, which is now the Wallace building, is cloaked entirely in darkness in the new one it doesn't have any of the kind of mm-hmm. gold lighting until you get inside it which is which is cool because that's the that's sort of a recreation of it because yeah because if you remember the tyrell building in the in the first one it's so dark i remember commenting on that like why is it so dark all they have is natural window lighting yeah. but then you get into his quarters and there's lights everywhere it's just creating everywhere. a yellow glow yeah and in the building, as you get closer and closer to Wallace's headquarters, yellow glow everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's the it's... same exact thing, just stark yellow walls of light with, with rippling patterns near water and mm-hmm. fading effects near windows. And no, and just you know, seemingly out-of-nowhere moving lights that are kind of simulating a moving sun or, any, or anything, but it's clearly in the middle of the night or completely pitch-black raining. So it's like, where is any of this light coming from? <laughs> and so it just blatantly establishes, everything's just weird here. <laughs> it's beautiful, but it's weird. Um, and it's, I really liked what they did with the interior of Wallace's headquarters because A, it looked cool, but B, it did actually have a practical purpose with Wallace's character being blind and so much presence of water and big open echoey spaces. I actually even remember Villeneuve designed the specific room that... Um, Wallace hangs out in is designed after some style of Japanese temple that's meant to actually reverberate sound off of the floor to, in order to de- detect intruders. Mm-hmm. Which I, I've heard about that basic principle of water. Yeah. being Water being used to reflect sound before. Yeah. And so just all of it is to establish, you know, 
just a sensory overload for this guy who normally can't see mm-hmm. and who you know establishes he can sort of look at his replicants with these like floating like sonar bots kind yeah. of thing which is pretty cool um just a cool little shot to see but it's just it's just an assault on the senses in every way whenever you think about it like that all senses but sight to him exactly but and to us it's pretty much all sight <laughs> so it's a cool a cool parallel between you know the original Wallace headquarters and this one and that's mm-hmm. pretty much reflected throughout most of the film the only thing is is that if you're if you're looking at setting 2049 does a does a way better job with setting in in capturing in capturing the landscape and how things oh, yeah. are. Now, oh yeah, big time. Yeah, if I'm being fair, like cuz when I'm talking about setting, I mean, well Blade Runner's in the same city. It's a very cool looking city, but it's in there the whole time. Yes. But that's also part of the story. He's hunting them down within the city. He doesn't have a lot of options to go other places. Exactly. 2049 has mu- explores the entirety of california with a lot of different locales with that so, the solar farms with the stand house it wallace's, goes as far as oh yeah wallace's interior in the city which looks different from the exterior city of course and then it goes as far out as you know giant dust cloud covered las vegas yeah which is oh know, i love the I oh love, such a cool shot just entering Vegas and everything. Can I be a hypocrite for a second? Go right ahead. I welcome it. <laughs> it I make, love... It makes you dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> I love the post-apocalyptic feel of Las Vegas with the dunes in the background and just the yellow haze over everything. Uh-huh. I love that post-apocalyptic aspect. On the other end, I really don't care for the setting of the child farm. Because yeah. that's that's too stereotypically post-apocalyptic for my taste. It's like I've seen this in a million other films. You could, I feel like this could have been so much more innovative than just a big junkyard. Also, I just like to establish, Jacob, that place is called an orphanage, not a child farm. It's a child farm. <laughs> They're making them work on robot parts. That's like the most old school way of putting it. I've got a new child down from the child farm today. He'll help out with my day-to-day duties. <laughs> That place is a child farm. It is. I, I, I'll, I'll, I won't. I, I won't give you that much crap. It, it really was. It's, it's just like this... when when your parents send you away to camp mm. and you end up making wallets and shit on macrame and they end up selling it. I mean, this is a bit more darker than that, but yeah, same principle. Yeah. <laughs> child uh, farm. It's funny to think about. Ah. Um. But yeah, I do. I do love Vegas, and then the kind of, like, San it's San Diego was established to be this giant, like, literal trash heap, like, because it got destroyed through some fault of someone else, I don't know, and then they just use it as a trash dump, and it really is pretty dull in comparison to this, this pleasure palace that he finds in Las Vegas with, like, giant statues of, you know, scantily clad women doing, like, oak faces and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's really pretty cool. And just, it's all... Uh, the Ozymandias aspect. The Ozymandias aspect to it, yeah. And then, like, you know, him going into the casino and having all the bright lights and the holograms of Elvis and Frank Sinatra and Liberace at that one point. It's so self-indulgent. It's so cool. I love it. And it's just so distinct from... It's probably one of the most, dis- one of the most distinct scenes in the film, easily. But, obviously, with all these similarities and everything, there are will inevitably be the differences, as this is definitely not, it is very much a sequel, and a very long overdue sequel, as we've established, there's going to be a lot of changes to the whole formula. Like, my biggest thing I noticed was Villeneuve's tendency to go towards a lighter color palette than Ridley Scott did, 
there's a whole lot of scenes where it's just explicitly white all around all around mm-hmm. the main characters a lot of scenes of like clarity like anytime it's establishing you know what's kind of going on like oh this is you know some revelation that we're finding out about these characters or that we're just seeing in general about this world right and if i can go back to the color palette in the film in in the essence of noir for a second yeah i think i think if I'm playing devil's advocate to myself in my earlier <laughs> statements, I do think that that has some to do with my thoughts on the whole matter. Mm. Because just by the very nature of a lot of noir films, like the big noir boom in film came out in a period of black and white when shadows were just natural because of black and whiteness. So you get that feeling oh, yeah. that with a darker with a darker color palette, it is noir. And with a whiter palette, you think of like, 2001 a space odyssey is the perfect example of that white in white institutes in the mind like sleek sci-fi and i think that may be worse i think some of my points stand but i think that might be where a lot of my thoughts come from yeah i do see where you're coming from it this one the new one does very much establish oh this is very hard sci-fi like we're really expressing that we can use you know modern film technology to say oh, this is a really cool shot and not just clearly a model that we have good lighting on. Right. And so from that, they can kind of get away, they get away with doing more and more things and just there's just this very common trend these days that hard sci-fi tends to be very sleek. Right. Whereas, you know, old school is very kind of gritty and, you know, kind of less established. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's like, oh, all the stuff we saw in this is stuff that could conventionally happen. Whereas in the original, not so much. <laughs> it was like, the technology was left very, very vague. Right. It was meant to just kind of be like, this is your story. This is the world you're in. Deal with it. Whereas the new one's like, ooh, this could be the world. Which is... <laughs> Maybe in the future. This... Look at this. It's Blade Runner of the future. <laughs> Blade Runner of the future. Exactly. It's like the city of tomorrow. <laughs> Today. <laughs> no, but when, when he has to... When they have to do, like, straight-up noir, they you can see the effort put into it, because... Like yeah. I said, for a lot of those older films, shadows come naturally to the aspect that it's black and white. They still have to cast a lot of black to make the black. Oh, yeah. Of course. So it's not like they weren't trying to do a particular style in those films, but it was easier. In a film like this that's in color, Yeah, they have to play with shadows a lot more delicately to get that feeling. And as in when Ryan Gosling is attempting to grill Batista with the the eye scan. Oh yeah. Uh they they play with shadows a lot there to try and to try and get that feeling. Yeah, that opening scene is very immediately establishing of like or at least trying to immediately establish a lot of stuff with noir. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like, oh, it's just dark, it's gritty, they're beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> it, <laughs> Don't get up. It's pretty cool. But then from that whole idea of it, I kinda like now I just kinda think about that, that even kinda comes into the themes of the story. Like the original one like this is kind of a thing I've seen a lot of noir. There's always kind of themes of, at least when, like, or at least of detective shows in general. It's like there's big themes of inequality in a real society. Like, you know, in this case, we're talking about replicants and how they're considered like subhuman and literally can't even live nearly as long as a human and they're trying to establish themselves as equals. Whereas in the new one, it's more very hard sci fi of this is a new, straight-up new species that's trying to establish itself. Mm-hmm. And so I, that is another thing I was thinking about. It's like, you know, it might not have been as big a thing in the classic noirs. Like, it probably tried to avoid sensitive subjects of, like, inequality. But 
it was always an it did seem like kind of an element in detective shows at least nowadays which i'm noticing which i think was kind of cool in the original it was trying to establish these guys are being hunted simply because of what they are versus in the new one these guys are controlled now they're trying to secretly make themselves uncontrolled yeah one is sort well, yeah one is sort of the right to life and the other is sort of like a, a the right to a better life yeah basically and i think the new one just really does go hard sci-fi on that one for sure yeah it's like straight up oh this was a robot now it's a robot that can self-replicate whereas the original one it's like oh this is just a this is a sort of rope this is the closest thing this is basically what a society would establish as a robot but as a modern society we have no idea how to understand it right whereas in the new one it's like oh yeah they're just they're just robots they can self-replicate that's it mm-hmm. which is kind of become a common trope more and more i'm just, i'm i'm seeing that a lot with sci-fi nowadays is the idea of a robot society that it's able to recreate itself and it being either a bad thing or an amazing thing in this movie, it asks the question of both. Mm-hmm. It's both good and bad, depending on how you look at it. So I thought that was kind of interesting. It just kind of came to mind. It was like, it's not necessarily drawing back on noir film, but it was very distinct of each of one. That's probably the, the overarching theme of the whole thing just completely shifted like that. Of going from, you know, like how you put it, right to life versus right to a better life. Which I think is the best way to describe the two of them. Mm. Alright. After like a breath or so, do you want to go into the elements of the whiteness for clarity? Sure. Because I can use that as a jumping off point to talking a bit about uh, the point of having K in the story. Like, why is this from the point of view of right. K in particular? So, because mm. I have some thoughts of, on that. Sure. I'm, I'm going to try to bring up the idea of the baseline test, because that whole thing, like, when he's in that white room doing that, I'll try to bring that up and maybe throw in some fun facts about it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the thing he's, he's reading, like, I'll bring up, he has to recite the book, this one poem, and then repeat lines without having emotional reactions. Right. Which, in the first scene you see it in, he doesn't have any, but in the new one it's like, oh, he actually is starting to be emotional. So it's like, yeah. moment of clarity. In the first one, it tries to establish, oh, this is a sterile environment, you're not allowed to have clarity, whereas in the second one, he actually, you know, defies that, at least on accident. Yeah. Okay. I had, um, I briefly brought it up earlier, the idea of, you know, Villeneuve bringing up big scenes of revelation and clarity in... In, the, in, in its his color palette around the characters, mo- most certainly using the color white, which was almost, which is very sparingly used in the original one. Anything time there was anything white, it was overcast by like darkness. Even in the original scene, first scene where he's at the noodle stand, most of it is kind of light colored, but it's still so dark and rainy out that it's, it comes across as more blue. Mm-hmm. And then in the new one, there's just so many scenes of stark whiteness. There's whenever. K returns to his mostly gray apartment and is talking with his holographic girlfriend being like, oh, this is bad stuff that's going down or this is when I'm first starting to think maybe I'm this mythical child. Or in the very ending scene, which is really the most significant moment of it, in which K dies in order to reunite Deckard with his daughter. And it's just kind of draws back on the earlier line by this resistance woman of... 
it's better to you know we we die it's better to you know die for a cause that we believe in than to live as you know prisoners more or less that's not the exact line but it's close yeah <laughs> i'm not gonna i'm not gonna take the time to go back i'm sure there's some imdp quote for it somewhere but i don't want to i don't want to care at the moment <laughs> you know that that part of the story was kind of my biggest pet peeve because it just kind of felt a little shoehorned in it was cool to establish the idea of okay is meant to be a medium for this world to be shown to us but at the same time it's like that's a bit much <laughs> mm -hmm. like establish a bigger presence of that earlier on in the film rather than vague hints towards it you know mm -hmm. but i get i get beside myself right. um i mean and that's kind of a cool that's a cool time piece too because with the in the background the story is about the independence of these yeah these androids the replicants for their own life but if we're if we're thinking about it from a like from a storytelling perspective what's the purpose of having this this particular replicant at the at the in the foreground as opposed to any other and a lot of that i think stems from he has his own he 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 goes through the motions of this we get to witness the background play through him oh, yeah. as well because he starts out solely following orders and he doesn't have much purpose in life other than to do the tasks that he's given right and it even kind of establishes that at the end like there's a brief period where whenever k is having his identity crisis that his girlfriend joy brings up oh you need a real name how's about joe and then he kind of vaguely goes by joe throughout the rest of the movie but then after the fact you know his after his girlfriend is killed destroyed whatever he encounters this big advertisement of the program computer girlfriend that you know he had bought and it straight up goes up to him it's like wow you're like you know he call it calls him like a real joe and it's trying to be like oh this is your could be this sexy robot girlfriend could be yours she'll call you joe and rub your feet and that sort of crap and it's just trying to be like oh he's just literally a common dude like the idea of this literally could have been anyone and that's the point right which I kind of like it's just kind of a pretty big jump from the story that we were used to and the fact that Deckard ends up be kind of becoming the main focus again it's just fine but still I like it to I like it to its own extent because it it follows that transformation of that's sort of a really down moment for him he holds up his his he holds up that gun and yeah. it's sort of a contemplation type moment because what what purpose does he have? He he had this faint moment of oh, destiny's been thrust upon me. I I do have a purpose because he thinks that he's he thinks he's this special replicant that can yeah. that it, he that thinks himself to be the chosen one. Like, yeah, it's turning the chosen one trope kind of on its head here. But essentially, and what he finds out in the end is he has to he has to make his own. He can't be given it. He can't be given a special purpose by others. He has to find his own way and make his own purpose in life, which is what the Rebellion is attempting to do for themselves. Yeah. They're trying to make their own way and make their own life that right. they feel they deserve. And this is just... And just the more and more I think about it, the more I think, like, wow, this was based off Blade Runner? <laughs> this doesn't sound like Blade Runner at all. It's just... It's such a big jump there at the end that I think is the biggest freaking difference of the films. And now, if if we're looking at 
Blade Runner, the 1982 Blade Runner, yeah. uh, Deckard's relation to the story sort of mirrors that of Kay's. He, a little bit, yeah. It's from a different experience, obviously, but the background story is different in and of itself. Right. Like, like Kay kind of has a very direct involvement with this whole background story, but Deckard kind of seems to have a bit more of a hostile... Like, he literally is hunting down these people trying to live for themselves. Right. He It's it's exploring that... that uh, belief system that the androids or replicants seem to have that they should they should be able to live they have a right to live because they're sentient creatures and deckard is there to to witness this as he goes on he gets less and less actual hatred for these things he starts to realize especially with rachel Uh uh these things do deserve a right to live these creatures are sentient beings that can feel and experience life and I think like he really does first get that right after he kills Zora, which is you know is the first one he ends up killing. Yeah, you know, now that I think now they remember it. Um, but after that, even when he's facing off against Leon, one of the other replicants, right after the fact, he kind of he kind of humors him a little bit, like asking he's asking him questions, he's responding to questions and that sort of thing. And it's not even he himself that ends up doing the killing blow. It's Rachel, you know, who saves him out of nowhere. Right. He, he, you can see that hesitation, yeah. and and they do a really good job at drawing that because it's like, oh, we do this all the time. I get paid commission based on killing replicants. That is my job. Yeah. I give them the test and I kill them. But when he kills Zora, it goes slow motion. It's like that shutter sort of frame where it captures like her falling, yep. and that's supposed to be the moment of. And is then, sort of breaking because these are Nexus Sixes. They're a different breed. They are just practically human, right? And like they're a little emotionally stunted, but not nearly as much as presumably they used to be, right? And then it immediately, it, it doubly, it kind of doubles down that the very next scene after he you know kills her and like talks to his you know his boss, he gets a bottle of whiskey. Mm-hmm. He goes up like straight as like I need to get drunk. I can't <laughs> deal with this right now. <laughs> this is bad. So yeah, so that is. That is a really cool kind of different, like, difference, but also similarity that mm-hmm. each, like both Kay and Deckard had, right, relating and, to him. And it leads in well to Kay's experience because yeah. if Kay were a human, it would, regardless of the the replicant's motives in twenty forty nine, if if Ryan Gosling was playing a human character from a beginning, the beginning, you could just say it was a rehashed story because he's still doing that job, right. But changing him to a replicant, it seems like natural progression. Like, where do we take this? Well. He is a replicant, and by the very admission of multiple characters and the laws of the world, replicants aren't necessarily supposed to care for one another. They're supposed to do their jobs. Right, exactly. So I, I think they, they bleed pretty, maybe not in theming, but pretty seamlessly they bleem together in the way that they handle the plot. Right. So uh, all that deep analysis aside, what, yeah. are, what, what are like your actual thoughts? A movie, you know what? 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 Some scenes, some shots you like? Would you care for? Would you not care for? I mean, maybe it's just because we we had watched Twenty Forty Nine most recently, but I remember more shots from it than I remember from the original. Mostly because mm-hmm. they're just so in your face, just good, cool shots. I mean, everything in the Wallace Building, you know, um, mm-hmm. the just overarching shots of the city when it's like raining and snowing, the one of the last shots when Ryan Gosling's character is, like, dying on the steps. They're just really just technically stunning. 
Mm-hmm. For the original, a lot of, you know, it's pretty cool. Like, the opening shot over it, or, like, the Tyrell, like, conference room with the owl flying around. That's hard to deny. That one's pretty cool. It is cool. But it's just more, I remember more of 2049, even story-wise, which, you know, it's yeah. to be expected. It's much more coherent, which I think, you know, I, like, any, you know, whenever we're watching movies, I try to think of, like, what's a good wow moment. I didn't have one in particular. I didn't have one in particular for the original, but the scene in 2049 where the holographic girlfriend is like standing over the real like prostitute girl in order to like, you know, oh, during yeah. the whole like implied sex scene thing, that was crazy. <laughs> Cause like it's, I don't even know how the hell they did it. It was pre- it was just a technical like yeah look at this thing yeah and that's I know, clearly what it was oh yeah so. I know it was completely just to be like oh look at this impressive shit we can do but like it 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 worked yeah <laughs> I, I I was I fell for it and it was awesome and uh, to sort of to sort of like go off that I we did watch twenty forty nine more recently and yeah. it is it, it's more coherent oh yeah that's what you get when there's yeah. only one cut of a film yeah. like hopefully it's more coherent and they you know distinctly go into it with the thought of let's not make this crazy right let's make this you know distinctly coherent so we don't have to have seven goddamn cuts right but but also for blade runner and obviously they do it they do it deliberately it's mm. it's a it's due to choice and style but oh, yeah. uh a lot of the shots are just really dark or hazy, so it's hard to see them. And again, that's that's the style, but it does make it hard to pick them out and not let all the scenes blend together. And like, I'm kind of curious to think: was this before um, Alien for Ridley Scott? Or was uh, Alien came out in '79. Blade Runner was '82. Okay, that's that's actually kind of surprising because it almost feels like Blade Runner is kind of like an early work for Ridley Scott because a lot of his later work is actually visually incredible like i wasn't a huge fan of alien covenant but holy crap the visuals were amazing Mm -hmm. and just looking back on this one it's like i see elements of that but not with that with not with any of the polish Mm -hmm. it's just like you know it's dark there's cool sweeping shots but they don't really like bring a whole they don't kind of come together like you'd want them to yeah like and that also might just be with the you know quality of restoring film like i mentioned earlier with the um like, whenever you see a model of a giant building and it very much looks like it's a model now. Back in the day, it probably looked a lot better. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> you, can uh, kind of see, you can kind of, you know, see the wires, so to speak, nowadays. Right. Funny, kind of funny thing for that, just as a slight tangent, is uh, apparently in Blade Runner, a lot of the computer screen overlays, mm-hmm. or the, the things that appear on the computer screens while they're flying around in the car are just ripped straight from what computer screens had on them in Alien. <laughs> they just took the same things and just plastered it, plastered it I mean, on the why computers. Not? Yeah, because they already had it. Exactly. I mean, it kind of reminds me of um, during like the more like the infamous like first cut of the movie where Deckard and Rachel like escape into the mountains or something. I don't even remember. It's been years since I've seen that cut. Yeah. But it's apparently actually made up of, you know, like it has shots of them going into the mountains, like driving in. It's made up of extra B-roll footage that was shot from The Shining, from, like, Kubrick's <laughs> The Shining. It's, I, I saw that, I was like, that That's somehow great. is incredible and also not surprising. What's wrong with reusing footage? I mean, nothing. <laughs> I, just, I just thought it was so cool. Especially, especially back then. Like, nowadays you couldn't get away with that shit. Like, nowadays someone would be like, um, that's the exact shot from extra features, bleh. 
And like back then, it's like, eh, we didn't release anything yet, so you don't know. <laughs> Everything's on hard copy. <laughs> uh, it's sort of getting us, uh, uh, getting us slightly back on track. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. No, not just me there... with my te- with my technical, like, just like, oh my god, this is so cool. Well, there were a lot of things in twenty forty nine I liked, but mm. like taking Kubrick into account, since we just mentioned him, yeah. uh, the the shot where Ryan Gosling. Uh, first enters the Wallace Corporation and he's talking to the file clerk. Oh, yeah. And I, I even said it at the time while we were watching it, but it's just like a stark yellow scene and they're conversing with each other even though you can only see the hands of the file clerk. Oh, yeah. That and then it cuts to the beautiful. inside and it's still his hands just going through stuff. That is such a... I was like, this looks like it's it's just a, a, a saturated scene from 2001. With, <laughs> like a really yeah. yellow background instead of a white background. That's yeah. exactly the feel I got from it. Which is this Victor Zaz looking motherfucker <laughs> on the computer. <laughs> it's, it was, yeah, it was, I mean, I said it before, just everything in that building was just so beautifully shot. And that was just one oh, various yeah. scene, a whole thing, you know. There's a scene with, uh. You know, like the half-made replicants in the storage tanks. There's a scene where the one replicant lady gets, like, born. It's just, the whole thing is just, you know, an assault on the senses. In a good way. Yeah, and, and and anything with the rippling effects or the light effects, like, yep. through shades or windows in that building. How it just moves and flows across the walls. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's just, it's the whole thing is just so stunning. You know, from the beginning all the way to the end with the movie especially like the shots over the abandoned solar farms in the beginning that one scene where he walks he's walking away from the house and then you cut to a direct shot behind him and all of a sudden the entire house is just on fire yeah it's just so <laughs> jarring it was like whoa <laughs> that's it, when he goes back right yeah it's the baby booty yeah <laughs> yeah it does that's just that was crazy oh that was great and it's just yeah I mean, I guess that kind of shows my hand of which of the two movies I like better. No, if I if I'm being if I'm being perfectly honest, I I prefer twenty forty nine too. Yeah, it's I just... prefer it to the I prefer it to the first one. And like I do, and I don't want to you know come across as me disliking the original. Like the original is great. I mean, it's interesting. It's got this whole almost mythic appeal with how strange mm-hmm. it's been throughout its production and post production just over the years. How basically the most What's now considered to be the most real cut of the film only came out in 2007 mm-hmm. when it came out in 1982 originally. The final cut. Exactly. It's just that that's just so weird to think that the whole thing basically had a legacy that long. And then probably right after that, they were like, all right, let's make a new one. <laughs> it's like, okay. It's, it's just, you know, for the, what, for what it is, Blade Runner is cool, but as just a quality movie for 2049 is just, leaps and bounds better right and it and it's and it's more it's more coherent exactly like just period as a film and it's like you know what's going on you know there's not nearly as many plot holes throughout throughout it like you know um aforementioned inconsistent lifespan with rutger hauer's character in the original it's just and whereas in this one it's just like okay they don't have a time limit they just kind of do their thing and also they can give birth now and that's kind of the whole crux of the right. deal go how does that work it doesn't matter who, do, who cares you it don't understand matter. you didn't understand how these things work before you know even less now <laughs> that's all you need <laughs> if joe turkel was still alive in this one then we would just get his opinion <laughs> exactly ask him how he did it 
God rest you, you beautiful bastard. <laughs> I mean, I have to assume that, like, right? Didn't they say he died in the opening crawl? Or was it just think... he was ostracized from the business or what? I th- I know there was an uprising, but I don't know. I don't remember how that affected the Tyrell Corporation. Well, what didn't Ricker Howard kill him? You're right, he did kill yeah. him. Yeah, <laughs> that's forgot a pretty that big, that's no, a pretty big no, I... <laughs> How long has it been, man? <laughs> have you been talking about a completely different movie this whole time? No, no, no. It's it's only been a couple of weeks, but even by I... your own admission, that thing's fucking confusing. I just, yeah, but that's a pretty significant together. scene. It's a pretty oh, significant please. scene. I thought we were talking about Spaceballs. <laughs> Or that one bartender in The Shining. Space Jam? Lloyd? <laughs> I like Lloyd. <laughs> uh, by, the, by the way, if you want if you want confusing, that book is like oh, the... 130 pages or so. Uh-huh. It's not that long, but... And this being, um, do androids dream electric sheep? Yes. Yeah. Blade Runner's first thing I was thinking, the First thing I thought you were saying, The Shining. No, no, like, no, no, no. No, no. We'll talk about that later. Cool. Um... No, that no. It is so confusing. The movie thankfully drops all elements of the religion that's in the book. Yeah, and... you did bring up like there was some other shit about like how humans don't have emotions at all anymore. That's that's the, that's the only part of the book that I like really found was cool. Is they have like an empathy box with dials from zero to nine hundred ninety nine, and each one's a different, really specific emotion, <laughs> and people dial it in and connect with, go into the box and connect with their deity known as Mercer, and they, like, get that emotion. I'm so surprised that, like, there's no mention of that at all in either film. At least not that I can tell. Uh, If there is, it's just some background crap. Right. But, um... Yeah, maybe I'll take that book out. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'm kind of done with Blade Runner for a little bit. I Just having to watch the original, like, three times to get a couple points, and then, by comparison, watching the new one, being like, oh my god, a good film! (laughs) Again, I give hey. that, I give that one too much. The original too much crap. It's great, but it's, <laughs> and now to go off and watch the other two films, we'll be analyzing like five uh, times a week. Oh my god! So, I mean, you know, hopefully it won't be as dry. Yeah. <laughs> Only, but you'll just have to wait and see. Whoa! All right. But yeah. All right. That's it. You got any plugs? Uh, no. Me neither. <laughs> We, we still haven't made a Twitter or anything, so there's nothing to... I'm actually planning on making a Twitter uh, before the next one. All right, cool. So uh, by the so... time this goes up and the next one goes up, there will be a Twitter. So that'll be nice. You know, look for that, the name of that in the, probably the next cast. Yeah. Or, you know, it'll probably be something to the degree of, you know, they remade it, you know, Twitter. <laughs> the podcast Twitter, whatever. They remade it 979 because there's so many before it. Or just or I love Green Day '87. Yeah, <laughs> we we couldn't we couldn't get the rights to. Apparently, they remade it. Was a weird indie band back in the '90s. XX underscore <laughs> Blink One Eighty Two underscore XX. <laughs> yeah. I th- good that, night. That, that that is that. I, th- I think we're good. So, yeah. Have a good night. Thank you for listening. Yeah. You're not even close to baseline.